This is the second to last week of our Gifts of the Holy Spirit series. Um, next week is the last week. Um, so um, we'll be taking a break for how long? Two months? Two months until February-ish um, before getting started again um, on an exciting new topic. Um, so yet to be confirmed. Um, but this evening we've, we do have a really interesting um, passage for us to look at. Um, we're going to be taking a slight detour from the, the technical gifts of the Holy Spirit, not looking at a specific gift tonight, um, but we're going to be looking at the fact that we're to be a gift to one another. Um, and so it can be so easy when we're looking at, um, at the gifts of the Holy Spirit to think, man, is my value in this body determined by the gift, the specific gift that I have? Um, and while we all do have specific gifts and they all have functioning roles that add value to us as a body, the greatest gift that we can give is actually ourselves. Um, and so really the, the, the ultimate gift is firstly Christ to us, but then it's actually the Christ within us being given to one another. Um, so we're going to look this evening at what it means to um, to have real fellowship with one another, um, and it really it's, um, it's, it's who we are that adds value to one another and not just what we do um, that adds value. And the way that I see it is, even, even like in, um, in marriage, the value that Tess brings and adds to the marriage actually isn't in her giftedness, her talents, her abilities, even the work that she does for the household. It's in our fellowship. It's in our togetherness. That's the ultimate value. Um, and so that's the same for us. We're a family. Um, we're a body. Um, we don't just come here to do good works. Um, we come here to love one another and serve one another and join in real fellowship and togetherness with each other. Is that cool? Yep. Cool. All right. So we're going to be looking um, at Philemon this evening. Has anyone ever opened up Philemon before? Does anyone know where it is? <laughs> Just before Hebrews nailed it. <laughs> Wife of an elder, eh? Done her homework. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Um, and I thought it could be cool for us to read the whole book. Um, yeah, it said that. The whole book, it's only one page, half a page. Um, and it gives a bit of context about what's going on here. All right. Philemon, number one. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. Um, and to Aphia and his fellow worker, oh, sorry, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Omnisius, who I have begotten in my imprisonment, 
who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both for you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, who might wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was, for this reason, separated you from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe to me even your own selves as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Um, if Pharis, my fellow partner in Christ, Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Archetus, Demaeus, Luke, and my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Fascinating little book, hey? Has anyone ever read that book and just kind of like skimmed through as their eyes glazed over what on earth is going on in this little passage? <laughs> it seems like a little bit of a nothing book, a throwaway book, just a casual letter that Paul's writing um, to this character Philemon from, from prison. But actually, when you start to read and unpack, there's an incredible truth that's contained within these words that's more than what's, that, what meets the eye. And in my mind, the fact that this was such a casual letter that Paul's writing actually highlights the life that this man was living in and from. He's, it's not like he's prepared an immaculate sermon and has got his, all of his ducks in a row and then he delivers this great big item of truth. No, he's, he's simply sharing his heart and it's in the simplicity and the and the normality of what his life looks like that you see the heartbeat of a man whose love is so massive for the church um, and for the people that he's writing to. Um, so we see here Paul is in prison um, and there's a, as it looks like what might be a young man, Omnisius, who Paul's shared the gospel with while he's been imprisoned. And this young man, uh, this man, Omnisius, has had a real conversion of the of the truth, truest sense. And Paul said he's gone from being a useless man to a man who's incredibly useful, not because of his work, good works, but because of the fellowship that they've come to share. And so we see throughout the story is that Paul is writing to Philemon and saying, when this guy has been released um, out of prison, he's gone and he's served Philemon. And you see Paul's heart as he longs for the fellowship that these two share. But yet he says, really, it's, um, I would love to have this man with me 
for the sake of fellowship, but I'm, I'm releasing him to you um, for your sake. Um, so it's a powerful little passage, um, and I feel like there's so many little statements here from Paul that we can draw, um, draw from to see ultimately the gift that we are to be to one another, not just in our works, um, but in our fellowship. Cool? All right, so I think we'll do, we'll do, tonight we'll do a little mixture of um, working our way through a couple of questions, um, but also I, I feel like we could probably go line by line and pull out some things um, from the passage as well. Um, but question number one I have here is, what was it that Paul valued about Philemon? Was it just his giftedness or was it his fellowship? What do you guys think? What was the value that... that Paul, that Philemon added to Paul, what was it about him um, that made the two so connected to one another? <laughs> I think it was a, it's a genuineness that's in his heart. You know, the... the um, to answer your question, <laughs> I think it's a genuineness within him. It's a oneness that was discovered. And so Paul knew that. He was attracted to that. Uh, and Nismus was attracted to Paul in that. There's, there's oneness, and that's what they found, and that's what was valued to him, not just the fact that there was someone come visit me, that there was something that was engaging within his heart, within his spirit, when they were together. And you know, as, you, as we read through the book, you realise and recognise that Paul had recognised that he had this with Philemon as well. Um, and so the story unfolds, or the account unfolds in the letter of something much deeper than just having someone here come visit me. Um, but there's there's heaps that's connected in this. Um, just going off, Paul, if you look at verse 5, 6 and 7, I'll just read this out to you. Because I hear of your love and your faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I come to have much joy and comfort in your love because of your heart of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. That was my answer. <laughs> it's massive, eh? You know, and you see here that uh, I think with for Paul, he says, you know, "For I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother." You know, and it's interesting that Paul's joy wasn't in anything that these guys had done for him; it was that he he recognized in them a love that they had for the body. And he noticed a kindred spirit that he had with them, you know. So often in the world, you know, happiness is dependent on what people do for you. Whereas Paul here is saying, actually, my joy is not in something that you've done for me. It's in the fact that, that we are of one heart and one mind, you know. Um, and that his joy was made complete by seeing the body of Christ being edified and, and, and built up. You know, his joy wasn't about him, it was about what God was doing on the earth. Eh? So it's a completely different, um, completely different perspective, self, self-seeking or selfless. Eh? I think verse 8 
is quite interesting. Um, eight and nine. So I think he's he's reminding him of who he is and how he lives, but at the same time he's also about to test that um, because obviously he has something in mind that he wants um, for this other chat, Onesimus. Um, so, you know, therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. That's an interesting statement about the authority that's on Paul that he appeals for love. And so let me remind you who you are. Let me remind you of what you've done. And now I'm about to present you with an opportunity to continue to be that because what I'm about to say is actually going to test you as well because of what this young man has done to you. So let me remind you who we are. Let me remind you who we're called to be. Let me remind you how we're called to act. And let's maintain this fellowship, this oneness. I think that's the challenge, you know, when tests come, it tests the fellowship. It tests what is there. Um, and I just, I just love Paul, how he says it. You know, I could order you. That's how much authority he had in God. But at the same time, I appeal to you from love. Because he also knows sometimes when, you know, when people use their authority and people don't understand the authority others have been given, they can get offended. And so it's quite an interesting dynamic happening here. It's, um, sorry, Sam. It's, I just, you know, when I read this again this time, it was the first time I've read um, this book this way. Read it heaps of time and always, always with a mindset of giving Paul a bit of a hard time. Basically a little bit by what Greg was saying. Yeah, not in my thinking, the way that I'm reading it. So oh, look, look at Paul go, you know, and saying, well, look, I'll tell you what, you know, um, look, if you've got anything to charge this guy, just remember, by the way, you owe me your life. It's all good, you know. And yet, it's so the way in seeing that is like that, interprets it like that. But this time when I read it, I was just captivated by who is this Paul? How is this Paul that writes like this? This is like something I've, I haven't seen before. It is so, to me, it is so full of love. It's like this, this tapestry of love that's God is woven throughout these people's lives and it's being expressed. And he starts to rope everybody in together, letting them know, says, our brother your brother and the words love and heart and father run right the way through it. Continue linking this together as, as, uh, as something more than just a collection of people. And so he starts to express to them about um, who they are. And I, I, th just these words captured me again. We think about a church the way we think it like this. He says, I write to the church that meets in your house. So what if he wrote to Chris and to Anne and Kathleen and to the others, to the church that meets at Chris's house? And it starts to become a lot more intimate and a lot more personal and a lot more relational. And when we see and recognise that the, this letter comes off the back of the letter to the Colossians, 
where he spells out, he's writing out all, all these mysteries of being um, revealed. And then he speaks just what Greg was talking about, of this oneness. No, no longer um, Gentile or Jew, Scythian or barbarian, slave or free. But why did he sneak that into it? Slave or free? Who's he talking to here in this letter? Because he needs to test Philemon in the very heart and the very nature of the letter that he's sending out to the Colossians and saying, Philemon, you're a leader in this community. And I need you to be able to model something that is the life of Christ, this very oneness that we're called to, to actually live this out. And here's a very living example for us. Here we have one who is a slave who has run away from you and through the providence of God he's found actually somehow in jail. And of all people, I mean, from Onesimus' sake, uh, from his point of view, up until that point, it's not looking good. But what better thing could happen to him than he's arrested both physically and spiritually? to be chained up beside of all people, Paul. Do you think Paul was going to stay quiet? And what became real and genuine in him is the, is the same, it's the Christ, it's the anointing, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the fellowship that is found in the oneness in God that we actually also become participants and partakers of. And I thought this, you know, when Greg spoke last week, you asked that question about what is this? It's to show and to bring glory to God. And this now through their lives starts to bring glory to him. I just even think about Paul's perspective towards being in prison. You know, he starts with the salutation which says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. You know, he doesn't say... He doesn't introduce himself as being in prison. He introduces himself as being a prisoner of Christ Jesus, you know? And just thinking, like, to me, like, his, his situation is in no way defining who he is and his purpose and what and the value he sees being there, eh? Imagine if, he, imagine if he did, you know, he wouldn't have been able to have these conversations with this young man, you know? He was living in a quality of life that was above his physical situation. And we don't actually find out until later on in the, in the little book that he, oh, he's actually physically in prison because his attitude is that he's so totally free and he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus that it's almost like, oh, that's just a passing comment. I just happen to be in prison. But physical imprisonment hasn't actually altered who I am and my value, my purpose and what I'm about, you know. Um, so it's it really, you really see the heartbeat of a man who's been arrested and imprisoned, not by a situation, but, but by Christ. Hey? You, you also see a man who understood what the whole point was. So although he's behind bars, he is still laying his life down that he would present the church complete because he understands the purpose of fellowship. And so he understands how important it is that Philemon makes right with this young man because the whole point is oneness. See, So he actually is pulling his trump card and he's saying, I know more than you, Philemon, so remember what I'm doing for you. So if I don't do for you, you can't do for him. You're not maybe even here because of what I've done for you. 
So never think more highly of yourself. Always maintain humility because this young man needs your acceptance so we maintain oneness of spirit. So he understands the purpose of why we're created. Paul got it big time. Hence, he's the minister that was entrusted to preach this reality. So although he's locked up, he's determined to see the purpose of why God created us continue because of this the, right here this is where offense is all caused in the body this is where division is in the body no you rip me off I'm not forgiving you I want my pound of flesh from you oneness of spirit just gets broken what's the point the two become one I pray that you would be one one of what fellowship with me father son one another who is that the bride of Christ. Where do you get your life from? The oneness of receiving him. Where does life come? I'm not one because I know Sam really well. We are one because we know Jesus really well. So Paul understands the purpose of the church. It's not to have relationship with one another. It's to have relationship with him. And then we have oneness with him. We have spiritual oneness with one another. Okay, so you have to understand fellowship and relationship are different. It has to be fellowship, not companionship. Companionship will come out of fellowship, but you won't find companionship in fellowship. Fellowship is fellowship. So fellowship is spiritual oneness. So Paul knows this, hence he wants to keep this going through. It's his heart for every single person. So he's laid his life down to see it. And nothing, you know, not even his physical situation can separate him from that purpose. Eh? He's a man who would have every excuse to not still be invested in the well-being of the body of Christ, you know? Like, easy to, easy to have an excuse to not be here on a Sunday night, you know? <laughs> you know, like, because of weather, but not that it's wrong. If anyone's listening on the recording, it's not wrong. <laughs> what do you mean, if? <laughs> Um, you know, but, but for Paul, it, like the, the ultimate purpose of God for the body of Christ being who she's called to be wasn't like deterred in any way by his physical circumstance, eh, you know? Um, so it's beautiful and it's powerful. And it's, you know, coming back to your question before about, you know, what, is, what, what was the, um, if you like, the purpose of Anissimus going back, you know, we don't know whether Philemon knew that he was in jail with Paul or not, um, but Paul knew where he was sending him. And so Paul knows this relationship that he has and this intimacy, this um, fellowship with Onesimus. And he knew that something that was in his life that Philemon may not have known. And so it's important for you to come and now to be able to see the gift that is in this man that is this man that you now can receive from him. But hang on, he's, he's the master, I'm his slave. Well, Paul just wrote in Colossians, no, he's not. Not in the eyes of the kingdom of God. And if you can see the person and value the person and the gift that comes in the person, not the position then you can receive the person for who they are in Christ and not hold them back and end up actually resisting what the Holy Spirit is doing 
and starve yourself of food that's been given to grow you. And we have to be able to see beyond the physical way to the to the like the value of one another, you know? Because I think it'd be so easy to reject this guy having been a slave based on the you know, the fact that he was physically a slave, but we'll say actually there's something so much greater than just that physical slavery. There's a greater value that this man adds um, than what meets the eye, hey? You know? He goes on, later on, just looking at some of the things that happened here. It said that Onesimus replaced Timothy as bishop. Well, hang on, how, how, he's a slave. How can he be bishop? What's that exposing in my heart? What's, what, what does it matter where his body when you see he's bishop, on bishop. You know what I mean? Because it's oneness, it's a posture of fellowship, it's oneship. I, it's not a matter of that I have to lord over you. I can accept who we are in Christ and receive each other. Cool, so that kind of leads us on to our second question, which is, what is then the difference between fellowship and companionship? You know, Greg, you, talked, you touched on the, you know, the difference between fellowship and relationship, but what 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 really is this fellowship that we're talking about, and why is it so different? What do you think? Think about the position that they are in jail. Both, well, let's assume Anisimus is jailed as well, not just working there. Um, that he has someone who is a companion to him in jail, but to somebody he's actually in fellowship with in jail. So what was the question? So what, Sorry? what's the difference then between someone who he has sure. as a companion sure. and someone yep. he has? <clears throat> Fellowship is based on each person's knowledge of God. So to the knowledge you have of him determines the fellowship because it's oneness. So when you hear fellowship, you think oneness of spirit. Okay. So to the measure of the revelation we have of Christ is to the measure of the maturity of our oneness of spirit. And so I'll give you an example of that. And this is when it's like, can you hear what the Spirit is saying? So if you carry, a, if, if Sam and I carry a revelation of the same thing, the Word of God, and I'm speaking forth this Word, he has a revelation of what I'm saying. So he's heard it, received it. He could finish the sentence for me. We can preach the same thing because we have fellowship of the Spirit. The Spirit is the Word. The Word is the Spirit. We have fellowship with Christ. So we have a knowledge of Christ together that is the same. Okay? So that's where it's like we feed Christ in us feeds one another. So when we open our mouth and speak, it's like you're eating. You're constantly having a dinner, a banquet. Okay? You don't have that with every follower of Christ. Because it's based around their knowledge of the Christ. So I can have relationship with you, but it doesn't mean I have fellowship with you. Because it's dependent on your and my relationship, or let's say my revelation of the Christ. So we have relationship because we all know Jesus, but we can have shallow relationships, can't we? So I can have a shallow relationship with you physically, and I can have a shallow relationship with you spiritually. Fellowship is the the deepening, the maturity, so as I know him and I'm surrendered to him and you know him and surrendered to him, we have fellowship. So John, in the book of the end of John, 1 John, invites a group of people to have fellowship with them. So there's a difference, see? So he invites them into fellowship. 
with the fellowship he has with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So fellowship, just think oneness of spirit. And we're to have it with him and one another, which means we are all becoming more and more mature in the spirit. So fellowship is based on your maturity of hearing, receiving the word of God, which is spirit. If you can't hear the word of God, then we're going to struggle to have fellowship, oneness. So someone will speak, you'll go, what? Because you can't hear the spirit. When we're all and we're growing, it's like, my goodness, it's boom, 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 boom. Weren't your heart on fire when someone was speaking forth the word of God? Yeah, man, my spirit was fueling. And you know when Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, what's he having? Fellowship with the spirit. So when he comes out of the wilderness, he's not hungry. Why? Because he's been feeding on the spirit with his father and the spirit. It's only when he comes out, he's physically hungry. So fellowship trumps, can even trump your physical body. Man, I've been in a place where I've been physically knackered. All of a sudden you start speaking the word of God and your body, you go hours, stops, sleepy. Ready for bed. So there's a massive difference between us having relationship and even you having a relationship with Jesus and having fellowship with Jesus. Oneness and that oneness is growing and that's his prayer. I pray you'd be one as we are one. That just doesn't happen because you prayed a prayer. So you, you enter into the process, then we need to grow in our fellowship. And that's why, you know, on any given day, Jesus is speaking, they're not hearing him. And same here. I'm not sure if you've been in conversations where you talk to people and they respond back and you go, you didn't hear anything I said. Because we don't have a deepening of fellowship. We have potential for it. And that's the point. And that's why people can mishear you. And you go, how did you go there? You said red. I said blue. Because the depth of fellowship and the challenges for the church is, is we have to make sure fellowship is ahead of relationship, physical companionship. And one of the things I hear so much in discipleship groups, which actually just continues to stop the group from growing, is I need to be able to trust the people before I can actually share. See, that's a sign of a lack of fellowship with the Christ because you're actually putting authority into people and you're going to know I can trust Trina before I share. Well, what happens if I just work up enough trust and Trina leaves? Now I've got to find that with Vera. So I've got to start the process over and over and over again. It's, it's on dodgy foundations. When my fellowship with him is solid, and I'm going, I actually don't care what you think, because I'm not looking for your acceptance. You hear what I'm saying? What you think of me is irrelevant. I want to have fellowship with Trina, so I'm going to be vulnerable, because my fellowship with the Lord is strong. So. I think there's like there's a type there's a tightrope to walk here, you know, because um, we 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 see here that Paul is talking with Philemon and he, he's saying, "Look, I could order you, but I'd rather appeal to you," you know, that 
that he knows the immaturity that Philemon is in, and so he deliberately goes out of his way to speak to him in a way that's based on his maturity level, even though he had the he has the authority to go all, in all guns blazing, you know. And so I feel like it's it's that dynamic, you know. It's um, it, it it's seeing that um, you know that 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 yes, there's a there's a place in the spirit where you can be vulnerable in fellowship, but there's um, but that's not. It's not overlooking people. It's still being up, have a heart full of love and, and noticing where people are at, you know. Um, but I think it's it's such a massive thing that you're saying. You know, there's between fellowship and relationship, or fellowship and companionship, and even I think in the context of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the difference between fellowship and function, you know, and and that. You know, so often we start talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's, oh, well, what's, what's my gift? And where are the other people who have a similar gift to me? And you have a, um, you know, a, a form of togetherness based on the fact that you're, you're gifted in the same way. You know? um, people, and that's you see sometimes even entire communities then gather around being evangelists or prophets or, um, or pastors. But actually, when, when you have fellowship with one another, there's a togetherness that goes, that's bigger than just your natural function, you know. Um, and, and all of a sudden, your your oneness isn't based on a, on a gift. It's based on knowing Him, you know. Um, and and I feel like that's a a much deeper and greater level of connectedness than just the fact that you like to minister in the same way, or you know. Um. Let me just read you this, and this is in one John. 1 verse 5 um, to 7, and it's good to just read 1 to 4, um, but listen to this, and this is the point I was trying to make. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, which really is flesh, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, Christ, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So if we walk in the flesh, the darkness, we don't have fellowship with one another because darkness and light don't coexist. We have to walk in the light, in the spirit. Then we have fellowship with one another. We're like we have with Christ, we have one another. So this is why flesh and spirit are in opposition. So if I say something and you don't hear it in the spirit but hear it in the flesh, we're not in fellowship because you actually just said something back that I'm going, I don't know what you're talking about. You hear what I'm trying to say? So you say something, the person responds, I'm, going, I'm not sure what you're talking about when you said that because I didn't say that. That's the tension, see? So the walking in the spirit is where the light is. Hence, it's easy to walk in the flesh, isn't it? That's the natural man. That's the old man. Hearing through the flesh, understanding through the flesh, spirit and flesh never hear and understand one another. They are opposite. And that's our issue. It's the challenge. And this is where so much misunderstanding happens in the body. Because... We believe, I heard that you said that, and said, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't say that at all. And this is where it's about hearing what is being said, 
meaning not the English words, the word that just came out. Okay? And that's our challenge. It's a language that's not earthly. So what I just said before, you have to hear what I said in the spirit. So it sounds like this. Did you understand that? Do you understand that language? And that's not tongues. Okay, I'm just trying to make up a language. Okay. So that's what Jesus spoke. He said, my words are spirit and life. They perform on their work. If you can't hear them, so they literally heard what? When he spoke to them half all the time. What do they literally hear? His literal words. Was he saying, was he talking about fishing? Was he talking about farming? Was he talking about taking bread? But that's what they heard. You didn't bring the bread. Living of the Pharisees. Correct. Correct. That's exactly what it does. And that's what's happening here with Philemon. It's an opportunity for everyone to have their flesh dealt with. Every time something happens, it doesn't matter. It's no one is outside of transformation and change. It's going to expose every person for the purpose of transformation. So his heart's being tested. Once his heart's being tested, he's got to go back in front of a man he stole from. Is he going to receive me? Paul has received me. Here's his opportunity to receive me. But I offended him. Oh my goodness, is he going to kill me? I don't know. Is he going to be put back in prison? What's happening in his heart? What's happening in my heart? It's an opportunity for fellowship. Or not. Because you all have a choice. See? Thank you. Right. Well, it's, it's the place where it's either going to be a gift or it's, it's going to be that, the greatest frustration ever, right? You know? and, and basically, like it, it, the, the danger of finding that place of disaster is much greater if you're going for fellowship. You know? Because if, you, if you're just gunning for companionship and relationship, you'll never get to that vulnerable place where there's a potential that ugly could come out, right? You, know? you can stay on that surface level... <laughs> And it just be totally cool, you know. And marriage, and you know these kind of relationships, you know. And and it requires all of us to actually want to go there and have a measure of Christ within us, that's greater than our comfort. Even when we're messy in our fellowship, we're the gift. So, like, I just sort of think of the times that. Discipleship has got to get got together, and I've just been absolutely bleh, and and the flesh has been manif- manifesting, but that's the. It, it's hard to put it in words. That's where I'm at, but as fellowship, it's in support of the spirit in that is. I don't know whether I'm explaining it well enough. I'm not wanting to be messy with what I got, but I'm being honest with where I'm at. I don't want to stay where I'm at, but I'm. This is what I'm struggling with, people. You know, <laughs> yeah. I um, really encourage you guys to read this letter because just going off what the guys were saying, if you read from verse ten to eighteen, and I was thinking of myself in the past when I before I knew the Lord. From 10 to 18 is actually a real psychological masterpiece. 
in the flesh, if you read it, it seems like Paul is flexing his muscle. He's pretty much telling him, do it. You know, it's, but with the spirit revealing it to you, this, I just see Christ, the heart of Christ that this man is operating in. So, yeah, I really, really encourage you to read it. It was out of it, reading it, sort of from that fleshly, it's manipulative, it's, it just comes across, um, what's the word? Dictator. Yeah, but, um, yeah, have a read through, and, and then there's a point where it looks like Paul's having to explain himself, but, you know, um, especially the part... Um, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. You know what I mean? If you read that in a fleshly mindset or heart posture, it just sounds like he's just flexing his apostolic muscles. Yeah. Can I use this as an example? So if you read that, okay, and I'm just going to pick on Paul a bit. There you go. Okay. If you, read, if you read that and think Paul, not Paul, but Paul, is arrogant and it's flexing his muscles, you need to ask yourself, what's your fellowship like with the Spirit? Because he wasn't. Okay? This is the man that God let write, imitate me, is it imitate Christ. He's not that at all. So if you think him of that, your fellowship with the Spirit needs to enlarge. Okay? And this is what is the challenge. See, the challenges mirror up because you've got to look at who he was and he was not arrogant. He was the most humble man in his time. Moses was the most humble man in his time. Okay? But you can look at Paul and think, arrogant, imitate me as I imitate the Christ. Who do you think you are? I'm a gift to the body of Christ. That's who he was. He was an apostle with a gift, but he said, I am an apostle. He didn't say, I am a man with the gift of an apostle. He said, I am the gift. But he knew he was a bondservant before he was a gift. And you need to know the nature of Christ as a bondservant before you know you have a gift on your life and you are a gift. He never separated the gift from himself, but he knew his first place position as a son, as a bondservant, but he knew he was an apostle with authority on him to speak to this man. And sure, I'm dad. And if you want me to pull the dad cart, I'm going to pull it on you. But I appeal to you as a father out of love to a son that would respond out of love. Doesn't God do the same thing? Doesn't he pull the dad card called discipline at times? Okay. So he is perfectly in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit, knows who he is, but many mistake him. That's why he says, he says, these people call me their apostle, these people don't. In fact, these people call me a false apostle, but these people don't. So have fellowship with us. Was he a false apostle? No. So someone's fellowship was off cue, wasn't it? This is the challenge for all of us in our own fellowship because it's about oneness of spirit. And you can't and I can't give me that. It's about my surrender to him. So what does it take? It takes a humility, a brokenness, and a, a humbleness in spirit to actually have the eyes to see from here and to hear from... For those who are listening, I'm pointing to my heart. <laughs> to hear from your heart 
and realise, actually, no, this is not arrogance. This is not someone who's sort of flexing his muscles, who does have every right as an apostolic father to be able to speak something and to be able to say, you know, I could order you. But I know that there's a much, much greater work that is going to take place if you can hear the, the um, emphasis, the strength of what I'm communicating to you, that you now by the Spirit will humble yourself and now act from your humility and a posture of love and free will, not because I've just been told to. So I can come and be present at a prayer meeting on Wednesday morning, but not be presently present. Because my heart hasn't activated out of humility and coming in fellowship, but coming in companionship. And now that, that humble posture's actually awoken within me. I can able to hear and I can partake in true fellowship. I love it in one of the um, scriptures that says they're praying about something and they said, it seemed right to us and to Holy Spirit which meant that they were in fellowship with what was happening around. It wasn't just a good action now to take, but it's actually Holy Spirit-led, and it's in fellowship and in oneness with the Father, which is what Paul is crying out to Philemon to actually know and recognize he's in. And here's opportunity. Here's opportunity knocking at your door. And I think we're really comfortable with that in family context, you know, like... And raising kids, ultimately, for them to get to a position themselves where they do something because they want to, not because they have to, is always the goal, you know? It's always the starting place to be able to appeal to them and, and help them understand why they're doing what they're doing. But I think in in a family, that you, as a father, you always need to use both cards, you know? And that there'll be times where you, some, sometimes your child just has to do something because you're the boss, you know? And sometimes if Levi doesn't do something, we, we literally say that. I said, um, um, uh, you're the child and I'm the, and he has to finish my sentence, the boss. <laughs> I'm the boss, you know. And so he knows. He knows how to finish that sentence, you know. <laughs> but that's, that's, the, that's the last place priority. You know, like that's, that's where we get to when the other options have been exhausted, you know. Like I think there's a there's tenderness and gentleness that he would come to that place not because I'm saying I'm the boss and you just have to do it because I've said so, but that there's understanding. But it's better. But you know, it has to be there has to be an opportunity for both in a healthy household. Eh? Yeah. What what does God know about mankind? Yeah, but but what's yeah, but but what so you know to be but what what does he really know about you? That you might know not even about you and the, and the way he approaches you. He knows our nature and he knows none of us like being told what to do. Why do you think he appeals to you from love, not discipline? Why do you think he's long-suffering in love, being patient, kind, gentle? Because he knows if he turns up and says, hey, Trina, do this. And he knows he gets the best out of you if he appeals to you out of love. But he has discipline in his back pocket, but it's the last thing he wants to use. Do you think if you have fellowship with God and it's growing, you need discipline? Do you think when he says something to do something, you just say yes because you've fallen in love and you know him and you're in fellowship and you know his way brings life? 
So he always appeals. Paul is appealing because he understands mankind. And he says, if I come heavy gun, heavy, 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 you know, all settled up, this guy might go, because that's what's in all of us. So he appeals out of love. But he's also very wise. And he says, oh, by the way, just remember this. Just this one thing. I actually gave my life for you. He's a wise man. And he uses both to remind a man who may not be in fellowship where he needs to be. So in that tension, he gives him both. But he comes first in love, just like God does. So Jesus came in love, in love. But then he would say, how long have I been with you guys? So then he starts to turn the heat up a little bit to try because they're not hearing when it comes from love. And neither do us. That's why love can be abused. And we live our own lives while love covers us. And so that's, a, that's an indication again of fellowship, see? It's like, can you hear, grow in fellowship so now God doesn't have to allow something to happen in your life that actually spins you around and points you the way you should have been going because you couldn't hear the word when it was going out time and time and time and time and time again. So this whole reality of why God appeals from love is because he knows what's in us. Just like what Sam's saying with his boy, just like me and my girls, just like me and Danielle, just like me and my brothers and sisters here, you appeal to love, you hope all things, you hope you don't have to draw the discipline authority card, you never want to use it, but at times you have to, because maybe a person or a people group aren't hearing from love, and that is love, to pull the discipline card. Because he's looking for co-heirs, right? Not slaves, you know? And I think that that's, you know, if it was discipline, if it was the discipline card every time, really that's just a slave and a master relationship, you know? But his hope is that, his hope for the church is that their fellowship would be more than that, you know? And I think, to me, that's the difference between a marriage relationship and a parent-child relationship is that, you know, like, often that card comes out when for, with a two-year-old, to be honest, Every week, if not every day, <laughs> you know. But that, but imagine if my marriage looked like that, you know. And every time I needed to get tests to do something, I had to, whoosh, you know, like that would be some like shocking marriage, you know. <laughs> we may not be married, you know. But then, but then in marriage, there actually is a time where sometimes, as the head of the household, I do have to make a decision that's not going to be popular. And we have to be able to learn how to, to love one another to an extent where we can be to each other who we need to be for the sake of true fellowship, hey, you know? Um, and while, the, you know, it's, I wouldn't even class it as <laughs> discipline in a marriage relationship, but there's, there's a time to be firm and to be the leader, and that's right, and it's good, and it's healthy. But it's set in the context of we're co-heirs in this family. Um, and does that test your fellowship? Big time, yeah. And that, to me, in my mind, you know, like marriage is a discipleship environment, right? It's what well, it's supposed to be. It's it's a co-earing, um, it's a co-earing relationship. And if we don't have any discipleship in our marriage, we actually don't have true fellowship because we've got to go somewhere together to become of one heart and one mind. Um, and so, yeah. if we don't get the reason for fellowship, you'll you'll reject that. So you, this is the catch-22. It's like 
if you don't see the purpose for why he calls us into oneness, it's very hard to actually receive someone coming and helping you get into love or discipline. So our eyes have to be open for the purpose of the why we are to be one and why God puts us together in a marriage covenant as individuals in a body. It's all the same thing. It's exactly the same reality. There's only two things, love and submission, which causes fellowship, and it's in every relationship. And, you know, we're looking at the gifts, aren't we, of the Spirit, and the gifts are given for what? Building up the... Right. So do the gifts have specific rankings? Yeah? You okay? Do they have specific grace gifts, grace on them? For what? A function. If we don't understand any of this, guess what you do? When a gift and a person turns up and says something to help you get in greater fellowship with God and one another, and you don't know the grace gifting on their life and the purpose, there's a high chance you're going to reject what they say. Because you may not like what they say, but they may be seeing things that you don't see, and they're there to help you. And that's why I asked Sam the question. If he is for his wife, Tess, and vice versa, it goes two ways, and they are for one another, and one of them can see something that the other can't see, and they come to help, what's your first response? It'll tell you a lot about your fellowship. Because we're either for each other or against each other. I believe we're all for each other. And so if I come to you with something, it's because I'm for you, to help you. But we've all been given grace gifts for a functioning task. To see something God build his bride, his body. What for? Works of service and the equipping of the saints. He's coming back for her. And it's all for the purpose of fellowship. Oneness, the bride of Christ, with the Father, Son, the Spirit, and one another. But if you don't catch it, it's like, well, why don't you give me a hard time about that for? Why are you giving me about hard time about coming to the prayer meeting, Paul? Why are you giving me a hard time about that? You know, I'm not giving you a hard time. I'm trying to encourage you to be present where the Father has said to be present because he's building fellowship with himself and one another because he's building up a body and there are elements that this body needs, and he's given specific giftings to see that raised up. But see, if we don't understand that we are not our own, if we don't understand that our family is not the most important thing on the planet, and if I come to you and say, you know what? His family is more important than your family. How are you going to receive that? Are you going to reject that? Are you going to get upset with me? If I lead you to the scriptures and just say, hey, this is what Jesus said, you're not my mother, you're not my brother, and you're not worthy if you love these people more than me. Why is he saying this? Because he wants to have fellowship with you and me and his bride. See, the fellowship requires you to be called out of, out of Egypt. Not a land, your heart and your mind, and what you think out of that and into Christ to have fellowship, not with Egypt anymore, with Christ. And for Christ to raise up a family, a fellowship. It's the four things they devote. What did they devote themselves to? Acts 2 42 to 44. Prayer, the word, 
fellowship the breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread is the thing that defines all those other three. And they devoted themselves to oneness of spirit. With him first. You can't go this way first. We'll tear each other apart. That way enables that way. And then you get this church. And I think that to me that's like the the danger of how relationships are painted up in the media and in the world is that it's a romantic notion of what marriage looks like, what family looks like, or what children look like. And, it, and romance is not wrong. It's it, like it, it becomes a lie when it's separated from what the ultimate purpose of all of these environments is. You know, they promise it promises life. You know, it, it, uh, when when do you see a movie that's made about true fellowship? You see a movie that's made about romance and relationships being based on mutual need for, for you know, as opposed to what the ultimate purpose actually was, which is not that 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 romance wasn't, isn't okay, is that actually it just misses the greater purpose for relationships and for what, as the body of Christ, we're called to in terms of our inter- eternal purpose. Same. And, uh, you know, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And so though there may be this um, outworking of this wonderful companionship that may have taken place through this um, beautiful romance story, the end result was that fellowship actually was never achieved. Though there may have been great companionship, we missed the heart of what he was trying to do. And I love, you know, just thinking of the, of the word that was spoken out this morning and did we hear uh, what was communicated to our hearts that we, you know, do we paint ourselves, do we put ourselves into these stories into these they're not stories into these letters so we realize actually this is me lord you're talking to me here um you know just, uh, i'll read from from um verse four it says i think i thank my god always now he's talking to about philemon so he's talking to him now so I, th- I thank my god always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you, for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So he's not, he's not talking to somebody who doesn't know any of this or doesn't have any of this he's speaking directly to him and now he's going to give like we said before hello the prophet just knocked on your door because you 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 know this you're involved in all these things now i'm going to get real personal remember onesimus he's coming back now when you read the, the these letters and we don't know what happened with the beauty of hindsight, we actually do know what happened. They had to have been restored. Uh, Philemon can't have put him to death because Onesimus went on, became bishop. And it says here in, um, in Colossians, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with com- compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. 
So even if he's a slave and stolen from you, here's the, 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 the prophet knocking on your door. This reality has come home to you, to you personally now, to live the very thing that you're saying, that you're speaking about. Is that fellowship alive within you? And it's interesting, you know, like the, the way that the justice system is set up is that if you do something wrong, you receive a punishment for what you've done. But what, but what he's saying here is that actually this, this man has been so redeemed and has, you know, because of having heard the gospel and it's come into true fellowship with Paul, that there's something so much greater than him just paying the penalty for the thing that he's done wrong. The penalty should always lead you to repentance, right, which leads to life, but he's entered into repentance. So, like, you know, so there's an opportunity here to recognize and to forgive and to reconcile and for oneness to be formed, you know, um, that's bigger than just the offense that's come, you know. Um. Can I ask you guys a question? I'd love someone to relay to me the significance of fellowship in the body. the significance of fellowship if there can be five wise and five foolish in the body what's the significance of fellowship So it's becoming the substance, the family yeah, of God. So do you think that the entire body of Christ is in fellowship? So do you, anyone think that's a problem? Right. So we can't fix anybody else, and we're not called to, but we can actually look at ourselves and go, am I in fellowship with you, Father, and in fellowship with my brothers and sisters because I want to be part of something bigger than me? I want to be part of something bigger than my natural genealogy. I want to be part of something much, much bigger than the life I once thought was all for me. I want to be part of your body. And so I must have fellowship with the body to be part of the body. Just because I turn up physically doesn't mean I have fellowship with the body. I'm just in a room having a nice meeting talking about a guy called Jesus. But I don't live fellowship out. And this is what John is saying in 1 John. Listen to these words. What was from the beginning? What was from the beginning? Jesus Christ. Yep. What we have heard, what we have seen. Is that the process to life? Hearing, then seeing. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing the what? The word of God, which was at the beginning. So the beginning is very critical to fellowship. 
what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Who's the word of life? So they've seen him, heard him touch the word of life, which was from the beginning. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you. Okay? So we have received the manifestation of Christ within us. We are one with him, and we proclaim something to you. We testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which is who? Jesus, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So the word at the beginning has been revealed to us. We testify it. We speak this word to you, these other people. Okay? What we so and manifest to us what we have seen and heard. Then he flips it because now it's what we've seen and heard, heard and seen. Uh, so that that's a very important two words. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ. So it's very clear from here. The invitation Paul is giving out to some people that didn't have fellowship with them. But he's laid his life down, sorry, John, and he is testifying the word of God. See how the word of God is the thing that brings us into fellowship. If we can't hear and see, we won't live a life of fellowship. We'll live for ourselves. And we won't be one. This is so serious. We were not given life for ourselves. And man, the church needs to get apprehended from this. You know, we weren't given life for me. Paul said, I no longer live. I've passed that point, dealt with the I thing. I'm moving on. I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. I'm in chains for the gospel. I've given my entire life to see the body of Christ, which we are part of, become the very thing Jesus is coming back for. And that she's to have oneness with the Father, Son, and one another. And it lives and demonstrates something that is so not earthly, it's not funny. And we have an opportunity here while we breathe, where we're giving life, to be this very people. But unless we can hear the word, not the words I'm saying, the substance coming out of my mouth right now, it'll just go over you and Sunday and Monday will come and life will be the same. And that was interesting, bit of a challenge and life continues. It's got to stop us. What I just invited us to is phenomenal. <laughs> I wish I could give it. <laughs> it's been going out here for 10 years, guys. 10 years, the same word. And if I'm being really honest with us, it's still this big. Into the reality of what it can be. It's this big. We've got to hear it, which means we've got to seek it. You've got to be found in his presence. Not once. It has to become a lifestyle. You've got to be Mary. Martha was running around, distracted, life. And he said, hey, Martha, look at her. This is the position. If you want fellowship, this is the position. And you have an opportunity, but and I have an opportunity. It'll cost you everything, but you'll gain everything.
unless there's any other last questions or thoughts or input. It's interesting, um, in Colossians, he actually mentions Omninus' name. He said he's a faithful and beloved brother. So Paul sees something in this guy that others hadn't. He sees, you know, it's, it's the Father's heart. He sees and he knows what's in each of us. And the, the other thing too is that it's interesting, he says, I am sending him back to you. What is an, what's the apostolic uh, father has? He has he's a sent dimension, so he is sending someone back. It's interesting, eh? How we think, oh well, I'll, I'll just go here and I'll just do this and I'll just do that, without the apostle sending. It's interesting, eh? Because when you are sent, now Omnius is not an apostle. But he has that sent dimension because Paul, who's a father figure, who has that apostolic uh, anointing on him, sends him. So, you know, it's amazing, eh, when, when you are sent and you have that sent um, thing on you, so many things work out so differently than us trying to do it in our own strength. So, I mean, it's just a little side thing, but it is so powerful. I mean, otherwise we just go and do our own thing. But when you're sent out, something happens. It really is beautiful when you when you look at some of the, the wonderful things that are just woven within the story. Because previously, he says, well, Paul, Paul says, I'm sending him, I'm sending you my heart. So he knows what he sees in Onesimus now. And what what what... On, what on earth, what in heaven has just changed, what transaction has changed in Onesimus that he would now be like this, a slave who Paul says he's ministering to me and I'm ministering one to another because true fellowship is actually taking place. And uh, looking back to Philemon, he says, he's telling him, he once was useless to you. He's a slave. He stole or ran away. Now he is useful to you because it's not just Onesimus that is coming back. Fellowship, opportunity for fellowship is coming to knock on your door. What does Onesimus' name mean? It means useful. What does Philemon's name mean? One who kisses, is a, embraces and invites in. Well, opportunities knocking on the door to see the, the true nature of the Spirit at work. Can I just say one more thing? Who sent the gifts? I want to touch on this. This is, this is massive. Who sent the gifts? We're talking about gifts. Who sends the gifts? God sent the gifts for the purpose of the building of the church. Okay? What happens if you don't receive a sent gift? Who are you rejecting? God. Do you know what you have? See, to not know the gift on your life is to treat God with what? So if he has 
given you life for his purpose, not yours, his. And he has empowered you with something for the building of his church. To not know what that is, to not even care to know what that is, to not to discover what that is, and then not to lay your life down like Paul was for it, would be to what? Of the cross. You see, he has sent everything the church needs for the building of the church, but man sends, and man appoints and anoints, but God appoints and anoints and sends. So to not receive the gift and the one of a gift is to your own detriment. Not to the person with the gift on their life because they know they've got the gift and they're going to use it. It's to our detriment. And then the body doesn't get built the way God intends because the church is not honouring the gifts which are the people God has given. And we're all a gift. But there are different gifts. We're all a gift but different gifts. So for me to not receive the gift is to my detriment that's on you. For you to not receive the gift on my life is detriment to you. Do you think we're going to have fellowship if we don't receive the gifts from one another? Because the purpose of the gifts are building fellowship of the Spirit. Man. It's simple. We just need to do it his way. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's, let's pray and we'll finish up then. Father, I thank you for the invitation that we have anew, um, Father, to this fellowship, this togetherness, Father, a place of communion that's bigger than just functioning together in specific roles, but that we could actually be of one mind and one heart, Father, sh sharing the same substance of life that you're in and that's in us. Father, I thank you that you've called us for an eternal purpose that's bigger than this earth, um, and Father, I thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to prepare us as your co-heirs, um, Father, ministering and speaking and um, um, according to your very heartbeat. Um, like we've read in this passage, Father, um, of, of men who shared the same heart. So, Father, I pray that there will be a longing that's imparted into our spirits, Father, that a hunger and a thirst for more of you um, that doesn't let us go. Father, that we wouldn't rest, we wouldn't feel satisfied until we find this place of true communion and true fellowship, that we wouldn't settle for second place or second best, just appreciating each other for the things that we can do for each other. But, Father, finding this place of true fellowship, oneness, togetherness, and communion in you. Father, I thank you that you are so committed to us, to covering us, to walking with us, Father, to lavishing your love on us until we come to this place of maturity um, that's found in you. So, Father, we love you. We just thank you for what you're doing and um, how you're ministering to us. Um, and, Father, I thank you um, that you're doing a deep and powerful work um, amongst us as your family here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. All right, come out last week for our final session. Um, and we'll next week, next Sunday. Uh, what's that? Oh, is that not what I said? No, you said come back not last week. Oh, <laughs> come back, come back next week. Hear the word, that's right. Have fellowship with me. Come back next week. All right, thanks guys.